I'm sure that most of you have at some time gone to the movies, and when you get there, you're expecting to hear one thing and watch a movie, and then they have what they call trailers come up. And the trailers are really designed to grab your attention and make you want to come back and watch that movie also. Well, in some respects, the, the message this morning being living as kingdom people in a post-Christian world, uh, it feels like the best I can give you this morning is a trailer. That I hope to be able to give you something that will inspire you to be fully engaged as kingdom people in a world that is post-Christian. So let me do that by going again back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, if you could turn to that. I've already read to you Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes, and being salt and light in the world. These are callings. These are orders. You have been enlisted in the service of your king, and he has given you direction to be salt, to be light. He has also told you in what ways he will bless you, whether you mourn or whether you are in times of joy and celebration. He has a blessing for you in the midst of both. And then we come to 6. Now, the Sermon on the Mount lasted several chapters. We are not able to cover all of them. And again, I'm just giving you a trailer here. So I'm going to first give you some background uh, after reading this scripture that will lead up to four application points for you in living as kingdom people in this time. Starting in verse 19, chapter 6, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where neither thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, whole, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, neither sow nor reap nor gather into bonds, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Of which of you, being anxious, can add one single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what we shall wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But first, seek Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, we thank you for your truth that you give us in your word I pray, Lord, that we are able to always see that you hold back nothing in your truth. You tell us of the things that will be a blessing, that we can expect the things that you'll do in our midst. You also tell us of the things that will be hard, that will be a challenge, but most of all, You tell us that you have knowledge of everything that we need to live as kingdom people, and you provide that for us. Help us now as we look at your word today and apply it to what we are experiencing here in this place, in this land that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. So, living as kingdom people in a post-Christian world. Before I move more towards the application, I want to give you a little bit of background here that you certainly have heard before, but maybe not put it all together as maybe one picture. But I want to look back all the way to Genesis. We won't go through all those scriptures, but you know, and I'm going to talk in pretty much a little bit of a general aspect of what happened in the very beginning concerning the kingdom of God. In the very beginning, God created his kingdom of light. It was a perfect kingdom. He was king. He created man and woman, his first two subjects under his reign. They were to glorify him. They were to work the garden that he had given them. And then there was another character there, Satan. Satan, an angel of God, a fallen angel of God, was the first to rebel against God and his kingdom. And he was present present largely for the same reasons that we too have experienced rebellion, and that is that God has given us choice. He has given us freedom, that he desires for us to use in worshiping him, in adoring him, and making him our treasure. Instead, Satan sought to have control and rebelled against God. And thus, a second kingdom was formed, 
the kingdom of darkness. It is Satan's domain. He rules over it. And God's two created, man and woman, found themselves in the midst of two kingdom influences in their lives. Satan came and promised them that if they were able to just see that they could be like God, that they didn't have to obey him. They didn't have to follow his direction. And they too could be God, equal to God. Thus, that which was set in place and still remains today, that the desire to please self over worshiping God is still the greatest battle that exists on planet Earth. Satan rebelled, Adam and Eve rebelled, and every single person since then has rebelled, including you and me. And it was because of self. We've seen the results of that over the millenniums that has raised havoc of pain and suffering and brokenness as the kingdom of darkness has affected almost every inch, if not every square inch of this planet and of the civilization and of one generation after another, Satan has sought to destroy the kingdom of light, God's kingdom. And anyone who would claim God as their king, he would seek to destroy them. And we are warned in Scripture that he is a roaring lion seeking to devour his children. Now you can say from the tone here a little bit, I had two people approach me after the first service. One said, that was really heavy. (laughs) The other one said, well, it wasn't so heavy. I'm not really intending for either one. My intention, and here's the real catchphrase of the trailer. I think we are about to enter the most dynamic, powerful, spiritual, world-upending time in the history of this country. Because of Christ and because of his church. When I say that, I say it in another way. We are about to bring about the kingdom of light face to face with the kingdom of darkness. And there's a battle that is ensuing, has already begun. And even though I've talked in the past from this stage here about I believe that we are going to be in the future enduring persecution as the church of Jesus Christ, God's put it on my heart to say it more strongly today. Persecution is coming. It's coming. I've been now a believer for 47 years And it's different now. It's different than it was 50 years ago. It's different than it was 10 years ago. And it's different, I believe, even than it was a year ago. 
It's coming. But let me be quick to say, so is Jesus. He's coming. He's coming. And we find ourselves in between the kingdom now and the kingdom that is yet to come. And it's a war. It's a spiritual war. This morning's message will be, where do we stand in that? Is it that so much different, what's going on today, that it's time that we have our shoes of the gospel on us, that we have the breastplate of righteousness, that we have the shield of faith, because the enemy is even more intensely looking to attack and to destroy the church of God. I believe so. I believe so for a number of different reasons, one of them being that today in the world, Latin America, Africa, and parts of Asia have experienced great revivals. Great revivals. So much so that there's far greater percentage of believers in their lands than in this land here that we live in. And not many years ago, these places were absolutely desperate and desolate, filled with all types of suffering. And then a light shone. The people of God brought the kingdom of light into the midst of misery. And God started rescuing and saving and delivering and healing. And the church of Jesus Christ grew and grew and grew. Why do I know persecution's coming? Because it grew. Every one of these situations, it grew in persecution. It grew right in the midst of suffering. People who had possessions lost them. People who had loved ones lost many of them. Revival has happened right in the midst of whole villages being massacred because they would not deny Christ. That's the state of affairs in the world today. We should not be surprised. The end of the book of Matthew talks about those days that would be coming where nations would be in war with nations, that people would be against people, that even family members would be against family members. That, in other words, there is a time coming that is going to be incredibly, incredibly violent, filled with absolute misery in this world. And in the midst of that, in Matthew, Scripture says, and this gospel will be proclaimed to the whole world, and then the end is coming. And Christ is coming. All these things happen simultaneously. So God brought his light into the worst places on this planet, and lo and behold, we see our country that's been slipping and slipping farther and farther 
away from a godly emphasis. Partly of this message that God's put on my heart this morning is that I've been concerned of how many Christians are only caught in lament over what's going on, in sorrow, in worry. We read in the scripture already, do not be anxious. It doesn't even mean don't be anxious until tomorrow. It doesn't mean don't be anxious at all. God is still in control. And we are told before we get to this scripture for application this morning that Jesus came. God sent his son to take care of this sin problem, this dominion of darkness that had taken over and gripped the hearts of men and women and brought deliverance with them because Jesus came and died for the sins. He took away the penalty, which was death, and overcame death through his resurrection. And through his cross and resurrection, Satan no longer has power to destroy God's people or to keep people even from finding salvation in Jesus Christ because Jesus has overcome the world and in relationship to what we're talking about this morning with kingdoms, the world is signified as a kingdom of darkness. Jesus has overcome it. He has already won the battle. It's been won. And this is the difficult aspect of us perhaps when we were living in a country that seemingly was so blessed. We didn't have the misery. Oh, there are pockets of it, and I'm not saying there aren't issues. There are problems. No doubt about it. Because sin is in this land and has been from its very beginning. But there was also great blessings. There was more freedom in a sense to do your own thing and to live your own way and to set your own course in this land. Not many people were trying to keep you from doing that. In fact, most people would encourage you to set your own course and find your own way. They would measure how successful that was by how much you possessed or how high in the ladder you climb. The anxiety that exists within our post-Christian culture now is that they have gone so far in freedom as that now the culture defines what morality is and what it is not. They have seek to define truth and truth connected only to what self wants and self would be pleased with. It encourages people to be their own God and deny the God that cannot be seen, but is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and his kingdom will reign forever and ever. So let's go into an application with that as a background. As I said, I know this is some heaviness to this, because I do believe that this time we're living in right now is unlike any time since the beginning of this nation. It's different. 
I hope that you are aware enough to see that things are different. They're harder. Without vision of God's purpose and his mission, even the church looks at it and can be quite depressed. We could find ourselves lamenting and thinking somehow Satan is winning. That darkness is overcoming light. It is not. It is not. And already there's pockets in our land of people saying, we will not deny Christ. We will serve him. He is our heart of hearts, whatever will be. And we sing it. But not just singing on Sundays, but we're being tested to prove it every day. Because we're coming up against the domain of darkness every day. You have been enlisted, as I said earlier, into the Lord's army. In certain cultures, I can't use that kind of military language, but I'm telling you, God uses it. And he's enlisted us. So let's see an application as enlisted soldiers of the cross, how we can apply being kingdom living people in the midst of all of this darkness and misery that is now becoming more of how we define our culture we're living in. In verses 19 through 21, we see that there's a mention of treasure. Where your heart is there, your treasure will be. And so the first point is to treasure your Savior and Lord. Treasure him. So I got that song, really, as we were singing, Be Thou Vision. It's kind of a life song for my wife and I. And um, heart of my own heart. Is that where the Lord is right now in your heart? Is he your number one treasure? Is he that treasure like that person who found it and went and dug a hole in that field and buried it and then went and sold everything he had to go back and buy that land? Is Jesus that treasure to you? Or do you have treasures that would be very hard for you to give up if he required of you? Not saying that you should go and sell your homes and give everything away, but if he required it, if he asked of you. And the part that I was mentioned earlier, persecution's coming. Do you realize if it's anywhere near what has happened in other lands that you may lose everything you have but Christ? that that's a possibility? Is he your treasure? Can the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, take away your treasure? Neither life nor death nor any other can separate you from the love of God. Making your Savior and Lord your treasure above all else, including maybe even relationships. Bible says that enemies connected with this domain of darkness may even come from your own family. 
may be in opposition to you. You see, we, the church, are being tested now, right now, right now in this land, more than it ever has been. I'd like to report to you that the church is doing really well on that. I'm talking about the church in general. So I mentioned what lands our revivals are happening to. In Europe and North America, churches have closed down in the hundreds. Empty churches. Part of the people I just said had become, have experienced revival are among Muslims in Africa, Indonesia. They have suffered great spiritual persecution and have become immigrants. Recently, I read a report that the empty churches in Europe are being filled by Muslims who have turned to Christ. Praise God. Praise God. May we not be a church that has to be filled by others because we have deserted our post. We haven't stayed on mission. The reality is that across our land, there is also apostasy among evangelicals. One of the things that I've been studying recently and read a report that was quite eye-opening and it had to do with the church often looking at what's happening in our culture and blaming it and lamenting over all of the things that are evil in our society and that God's not involved, they're taking them out of everything. But instead, it saw that the history of the church in times of decline was that the church itself had become secularized before the culture around it did. That should be eye-opening. Meaning that the church, in an effort to be welcoming to the culture, started denying the supernatural within its midst. It stopped calling people to repent of sin. and come into the kingdom of light. Instead, it softened its message. It denied miracles or the supernatural, and all of those who don't believe in it could feel more welcome. Today in our land, people are accepting a cultural change and denying the truths of Scripture in doing so. It's affected the evangelical church terribly. The evangelical church, and I mean that in, in, uh, includes a, a, quite a large sloth of people who have different denominational tags and so forth. The true, born-again, redeemed people of God cannot compromise the Word of God. They cannot let the culture define who we are as the church. And yet it's happening. And it's kind of a little bit of the battle line that's going to be in place between darkness and light. We are committed here at our fellowship as leaders 
we are not going to let culture define who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus continues to define who we are. The irony is, is that the people who are accepting this different view of what life is all about is that we are the answer for them, the church, the gospel, the light that God has called us to bring into this darkness is the very answer that they would want to change, deny, or even destroy. So the other concern I would have is, is that despite that being the truth, how do we love our enemies in the midst of this? This not yet and now. This being in between our butting up of two kingdoms of darkness and light? How do we be against the things that are against God? How do we hate the things that God hates but love the things that God loves and people are the pawns that are there in the midst of this great spiritual battle? You see, it's not people that we're against. It's the dogmas, it's, the, it's Satan himself and his kingdom we're against and we somehow have to bring this gospel of life to all people, even the ones that would be against the church of Jesus Christ at this point. We need to bring the gospel to them, and we need to find that way of loving our enemies. And that comes supernaturally. So if we were to deny, deny the supernatural aspect of who we are as God's people, how do we go up against the supernatural domain of Satan? We couldn't. So we're going to stay believing that God does rescue and redeem people in the midst of all of this. Secondly, serve only the master of your salvation. It's a great call right now for the people of the church, you and I, to see if we are serving others or serving things that would have it not be that our Jesus is our, our master, our savior, and our first. First commitment, first priority, we serve master Jesus. And this is probably a topic that if we think about it deeply, and I believe God's calling us to do that this morning, there could be very easily areas where we have become too friendly in worldly things, in worldly affairs, in worldly pleasures. And we've allowed them, in a sense, to have ownership in our lives. So in other words, because of the seriousness of the calling God has on us, the mission he has for us, as good soldiers, we cannot be entangled with worldly affairs. We have to be solely committed and dedicated to follow the Lord, who is our banner and who is our victor. We need to follow him. We need to look at anything that would be contrary to making him our only master. 
Time spent with the master is the answer here for application. The more time you spend in connecting with Jesus, Zach mentioned it not too long ago about radical prayer. Are you asking, seeking, and knocking before the Lord Jesus Christ every day? If you're not, there's a question to ask. Is he really my master? Is he really my treasure? Do I really understand what he's called me into? Time with him in prayer, asking, seeking, knocking. Doing that hard examination will prepare us to go because he's called us to go with the same kind of mercy and grace that we sang about today. We go secure in our salvation, afraid of nothing. We hear constantly behind us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. And we go. I've had several levels of suffering in my life, and confessingly so, too many of my sufferings were self-imposed. And I've also suffered for the kingdom of God. I've also witnessed many people around the world. God's given me a great blessing to be in the midst of people of suffering, but who are kingdom people. Where circumstances did not matter, they were filled with joy. The deepest, richest fellowship I've had with God was in the midst of suffering for his kingdom. Brethren, it is coming. It's getting to a point where it's going to be more costly. God's going to require more from his church to be his church. But you're going to be able to experience the fact that we can count it all joy to walk the similar path that Jesus walked. There's a joy that comes in fellowshipping with his suffering that doesn't come any other way. Do not be afraid. Realize that our march into the kingdom of darkness to bring that light is a victory march. It's a powerful one. God will rescue and save people and change them and transform them right before your eyes. It is why we're here. It is why we're here. It needs to be primary in who we are in everything that we're doing. Grateful servants ready to give our lives if necessary for him. And even that be being physical, spiritually God has already asked us to give our lives to him. He has redeemed them. He has bought them. They belong to him. And we belong to him. Thirdly, in the scripture we've read, it says don't worry about tomorrow. As I said, this message was meant, yes, to be sobering in some respects, but it's meant to be encouraging. Don't worry. Your king 
knows every need you have. He knows every step that he has designed for you to take. And he will meet you. He will be there before you. And he will provide for you everything you need in your journey. Some of us are going to experience in the days, weeks, months ahead some demand or some need that without us being truly the people of God, it would undo us. But because God isn't just supernatural, but he has made his presence in us to be the kingdom of God within. We become supernatural in that sense. He goes with us. He's in us. Do not be afraid. There's every reason to expect that God is going to have a great awakening again in our land. It may not look like the last great awakening, but it is set up for exactly that. But it is a test for the church. Or are we worried about many things? Are we troubled about many things? Do we believe that our God is all-powerful and mighty and that no one can come up against him? Or do we instead find ourselves being fed with the stories from the news, the unbelief of the world of darkness around us, and have a hard time seeing his glory? Don't worry. Don't worry about the culture. Don't worry about what others are feeling about the church. Be ready. Put on the armor of God. Be ready where God moves you into and be ready to bring his light by sharing the good news of the gospel everywhere you go. I think we would probably have to say many of us, including myself, far too often I haven't been intentional as I should have been about bringing the gospel to every person I encounter. Now, I know it's not always possible to sit down and give the proverbial four spiritual laws or something to someone. But how much of you reflects the glory of God that everywhere you go, you become the walking gospel, good news of Jesus Christ? How about some characteristics of kingdom people? As we seek first, the fourth point, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. In this direct reference, it's talking about the material needs that we often worry about and whether we'll be taken care of or maybe our family. I do also understand that when I'm talking about the potential of a higher cost and being obedient to Jesus Christ today, that it's one thing for you to address that in your own heart. It's another thing to have your loved ones be experiencing it also. In times that I've gone through suffering about being a kingdom person, I was ready to suffer all things for Christ. It was really hard for me when I saw my wife suffering or my children suffering. He's a test that only the very power and the supernatural presence of God will strengthen us when we go through them and are ready for them. 
but he still tells us to seek first his kingdom. But it also means that not just for physical provision, but spiritual provision, everything that we need for life and godliness, he has promised to give us. Characteristically, what should the kingdom of people look like? What should they be in this world of post-Christian? Just put down some characteristics of what the Bible says we as kingdom people ought to be. Compassionate. Compassionate even towards our enemies. Repenting. We recognize when sin is in our life and we turn from it immediately. Seek his mercy and grace, his forgiveness, which we know will be there. Peacemakers. Are we seeking to bring the power of God in forgiveness and encourage people to forgive one another? Obedient, fearless, prayerful, forgiving, committed, honest, humble. How about this one from Romans 12? Living sacrifices. That isn't just for missionaries. or God has called every single one of us to be a living sacrifice. It is the complete opposite of living for self. We make God's will for our life the design of our life. And that must be repeated. That's not a one-time thing. We need to continue, submit ourselves as living sacrifices to Christ. He will give us the mind of Christ. He will give us everything that we need. We want to please the Father who has enlisted us. Characteristically, a kingdom-living person has detached himself from the world and yet is able and may be only able to love the people of the world in the midst of that. No longer entangled in civilian affairs. Some things. We have a mission and values here at the fellowship. Our mission is to be building up one another. We realize that we need to be built up. We need to train and to build one another up for the ministry. But we have a mission to the community and to the world. We have values that support that characteristically of kingdom people. Studying the scriptures, generosity, worship. These weren't just things that came out of the air. They came largely even from the book of Matthew. Of what kingdom people are like. His mission is your mission. That's what makes you a kingdom person. Let me read this as coming to a close. Everything that I believe God is calling on us to as a church this, these days is meant for us to have an impact, put a dent in this post-Christian culture. I call it a pre-revival culture. The setting has been set by God. I read a statistic that 60% of people who don't go to church are open for the gospel. 
In some cases, it's because they didn't like what they've seen in the church. We haven't always been as bright and shining light on the hill as we should have been. But know that the people that we consider may be part of the domain of darkness and outside, and maybe these people that have ruined our country are the very ones that God is calling us to bring the good news of the gospel to and to generally have love and compassion on them. And we want to do that before this occurs in Matthew 24. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, by the power of God, will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Let us stand. Father, before that end comes, which according to your word could come at any time, some of the things that you've just mentioned that are going to be preceding your coming are already happening. Before it comes, would you help us to be fully aware of your calling on this church, the church of Jesus Christ? This world that we too often get so anxious about and concerned and worried about, we are the carriers of good news that is their only hope. They are ready to hear that you want to rescue them and deliver them. And they're becoming more and more ready every day. Help us to realign our lives around your will for us, your church. Before you, the groom comes back and gets your bride and takes us out and all things come to an end here help us to see that for such a time as this you have given us a great mission we thank you and praise you in Jesus name and for his glory our King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Amen.